that's all I want to be there for is to sort of guide my clients through the system, whatever way they're going, whether they're trying naturally or whether they're just starting out treatment and helping them sort of navigate the system and not only help them cope with the emotional impact, but also just navigating some different supports if they are using donor conception and putting them in touch with those resources. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today, my guest on Inside Reproductive Health is Amir Posner. Amir is a clinical social worker with private practice in Toronto, Ontario. Amira has a bachelor and master's degree in social work from University of Manitoba and developed and now facilitates the Mind Body Fertility Group and Fab Fertile Mindfulness Fertility Series. Amira also has had her children after several failed IUIs conceiving her twins through IVF after a journey with secondary infertility. She shares her personal experience with infertility and that was the catalyst for healinginfertility.ca, her venture. Amira Posner, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Thanks so much, Griffin. It's so good to be here. I've known you for a long time via social media because you share your journey so much. I think I met you at CFAS in Halifax, which would have been four or five years ago. Yes, we did. I remember you. It was 2014 and I was actually presenting, talking about the mind-body fertility group. And I remember you very clearly because you were wearing red pants. (laughs) (laughs) You might be the 10th person on the show to mention the red pants. So I keep adding colors of pants to my repertoire and I've since replaced the red pants with another pair of red pants. So I've got green, I've got pink now. It's good to be remembered. Yeah. So I do remember it so clearly because, you know, I think back to 2014 and I think like both you and I were sort of at the beginning of our, not, you know, starting our careers. And, and so, you know, we stayed connected through social media and I've seen your, your stuff grow and it's so good to reconnect with you. I remember your passion. If I recall correctly, you were speaking at that event as well, but what was the impetus? I mean, you are a social worker, but you could have practiced in any number of disciplines. You went through infertility. At what point did you make the connection that this is how I want to dedicate my professional practice as well? Yeah. So I wasn't, I was always a social worker. It was my career of choice, helping people. And my husband and I, we went through our own journey 10 years ago. And so I just remember sitting at the fertility clinic and, you know, seeing all these women and feeling so afraid and so scared about our our treatment and just knowing really deeply inside that if I get through this and I I wasn't sure I was going to get through it, but I would help others also get through it. And 
that's what happened. My journey was successful and we went through IVF and conceived a set of twins. They're nine today, but when they were two, I started to step into this area and I ran this very grassroots support group. It was out of my parents' condominium amenity room. And I saw like we had seven women come and I could just see the benefits of bringing these women together to talk about their journeys And I also provided coping techniques to help them channel some of their anxiety and relationship to the uncertainties of infertility. And from there, I started running the group at a hospital here in Toronto, which I continue to do today. So that's kind of how it all got started. It was really my own journey with secondary infertility. And for those of you who don't know what secondary infertility is, it's when a couple is able to conceive a child and have problems the second time around. And it's very common. What about the idea that people don't want to talk about their experience? They don't want to share this with others. Infertility is something that they want to keep secret, which I still hear people saying this in our field. And if I'm being honest, just anecdotally from my own experience, I hear it even more in Toronto and in Canada of uh, people don't want to, maybe Americans, they'll put things on social media and they'll go to groups and they'll talk to people. But we Canadians are conservative people. We just don't talk about, people don't want to share things like that. And so what about that notion? So yeah, it's a very private issue. And the thing is, when you get a group of women together that are all experiencing it, they'll talk and they'll find solace in and comfort in, in hearing the other stories and recognizing that they're not alone. And that's why it's such a lonely place is because people don't talk about it. But I think that people are starting to talk about it a little bit more now and it's becoming more like widely talked about in various ways. Someone has to go first, it sounds like. If sharing is what allows other people to participate and to feel included, but people don't want to share, it sounds like somebody has to go first. Talk about that dynamic. Yeah. Once you start the talking, once you open up the room, like people will talk. Well, and- I, t- I don't even mean in a group. I just mean if if you're going to attract people to your group, if you're going to let people know that this exists, a support yeah. network exists, uh, an online community exists, these resources, are there, somebody has to say, this is what I'm dealing with. I get the impression that that was you, but talk about, maybe you can talk about that dynamic. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of us don't feel a lot of shame associated with not being able to get pregnant in whatever journey we're experiencing. And so we hold it inside and it it gets bigger and then we want to isolate ourselves and then we're looking for the problem. Why isn't it working? And then our sense of self is dominating the problem. And this is when we're heading down a road of like isolation and feeling depleted, right? And so bringing ourselves back and becoming vulnerable. And that's what it's really about. And 
everyone in the world. And this is one of the themes I talk about in my group is that we're all experiencing problems at each stage of our lives, right? And this is one that generally, it's very a common experience from ages 30 to 40, right? And sometimes younger. Do you want your IVF lab to be at capacity? Do you want one or more of your docs to be busier? Do you want to see more patients at your satellite office before you decide to close the doors on it? But private equity firms are buying up and opening large practice groups across the country and near you. Tech companies are reaching your patients first and selling your own patients back to you. And patients are coming in with more information from the internet and from social media than ever before, for good or for bad, and you need a plan. A fertility marketing system is not just buying some Google ads here or doing a couple of Facebook posts here. It's a diagnosis, a prognosis, and a proven treatment plan. Just getting price quotes for a website, for a video, or for SEO, that's like paying for ICSI or donor egg ad hoc without doing testing, without a protocol, and without any consideration of what else might be needed. The first step of building a fertility marketing system is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's the cornerstone on what your entire strategy is built. You don't have to, but it is best to do that before you hire a new marketing person person before you put out an RFP or look for services before you get your house in order because by definition this is what gets your team in alignment. Fertility Bridge can help you with that. It is better to have a third party do this. We've done it for IVF centers from all over the world and we only serve businesses who serve the fertility field. It's such an easy way to try us out. It's such a measured way to get your practice leadership aligned and it's a proven process to begin your marketing system. Without it, practices spend marketing dollars aimlessly and they stress their teams and they even lose patience and market share. Amidst these changes that are happening across our field and across society, if you're serious about growing or even maintaining your practice, sign up for the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's at fertilitybridge.com or linked here in the show notes. There is no downside to doing this for your practice, only upside. Now back to inside reproductive health. And so when you go to CFAS and you're going to programming that is designed for practitioners, providers, clinics, what is it that you hope to build in terms of relationships, in terms of what clinics offer, in terms of what patients might need from clinics? What is it that you're hoping to establish with and from providers? Yeah, I think it's, you know, at CFAS, they have uh, counselors, like workshops and speakers geared towards the counselors and how we can best support patients through their journeys. And so that's all I want to be there for is to sort of guide my clients through the system whatever way they're going, whether they're trying naturally or whether they're just starting out treatment and helping them sort of navigate the system and not only help them cope with the emotional impact, but also just navigating some different supports. If they are using donor conception and putting them in touch with those resources and making sure that they're informed so that they can make the best decisions for themselves. When I first got into the field and I started contacting people from different support groups in the United States, what almost everyone told me was that they found out about their support resources on their own. They didn't get something from the clinic that said, go to this group, 
check out this network. And is, do you see the same thing happening in Toronto? So I just, there are some clinics here in Toronto that do have the counselors in-house. It's not common. I, I believe there's only one or two clinics or three maybe that have that. There's a number of counselors in Toronto that specialize in this area and many of them are affiliated with each clinic. But I feel like having in-house is really productive to have somebody there, right? There at the time of the crisis, there if there's a loss, you know, someone that can you know, you can refer the client directly to as it's happening, right? And I think it wasn't, even if not, at least have, you know, here are some peer support groups. Here are some forums. Here are, here's Resolve. Here's Fertility Matters. I feel like a lot of people are still finding that on their own. Yeah, like I I must say, to your point, I find it amazing when I do get a, a call from a new client often and they're they're like I found you online right so people are looking for support in the area clearly but I do believe some of the clinics here in Toronto do have that pamphlet where they have the list of the resources that the patients can access that's really important what are some of the resources they should have or some of the coping techniques that mental health professionals can help with and are there coping techniques that just staff can help with in some way, even if they're not mental health professionals. So let's break that into two questions. One is what are the coping techniques that mental health professionals can help with? And two, what are coping techniques and methods of support that non-mental health professionals can help with? Yeah. So I think they're actually the same. And one of the most important techniques is really just listening and using your ears and your heart to hear what's happening and to be present for whatever is unfolding and just like listening with compassion. And, you know, if you're a nurse in the clinic or a doctor, like normalizing the experiences, right. And providing, you know, some hope in some way, not false hope, but just, you know, helping the patient see it from a different perspective, you know, but oftentimes in times of like crisis, patients can be very reactive or aroused. And, you know, I guess a coping technique is to try to help them calm down, right? Just so that they can breathe and bring themselves back to feeling calm so that then they can go on to make the decisions that they need to make, right? So helping them see that, right? Maybe you need to go home and just, you know, take the afternoon off work. You know, what can you do for yourself now to, you know, help yourself, you know, feel a little bit more balanced? Like this isn't the time to like, you know, make a decision or go into the next treatment. There would be a vested interest in doing that from clinics, it seems as well, because one of the things that stops people from pursuing the treatment that they need, they're so overwhelmed and there's so many freaking decisions to make. There's micro decisions and macro decisions and there's just, they're tangled into each other like Christmas tree lights that have been thrown back in the box for a few decades. And it's really hard very often for people to move from one phase of treatment to the next, even when it's in their 
very best interest to do so because they have so many decisions to make. So to the extent that someone can help make it easier to process that they can move on to the next phase of decision making would be beneficial for both the clinic and the patient. Yeah, it's like, you know, time, the essence of time is such a huge component in the lives of people struggling with infertility, right? Time is of the essence for most of them, or so they feel, right? And so, you know, helping them just slow down and, you know, to take a step back so a bigger picture can emerge as opposed to go, go, go and reacting from like a place of fear. Well, Amira, how would you want to conclude for most of our audience's practice managers and providers? What would you want to conclude about what you hope for the space, the message that you want to promote regarding support, regarding patient advocacy? How would you want to leave the audience? I think, you know, just helping them understand that this is a booming area that has a lot of different facets. And as a counselor, my goal is to help clients feel better and to make their fertility experience not as devastating or difficult as most feel, right? So to shift the experience and to provide like different tools that aren't just tools related to this, but tools for life, right? Because oftentimes these same clients will go on to get pregnant and then the same sort of pattern emerges during the pregnancy. You know, will my body, is my body capable? Will I be able to get through these nine months, 10 months, right? And then the same as when you become a parent. So helping them understand this trajectory and to feel more confident and capable, right? And, and calm. And when they can work from that way and that demeanor, then everything feels a lot easier. And easier for both the patient, but as well as the provider and the support staff as well. Amira Posner, thank you very much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you, Griffin. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.